Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director. And Welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means the ever-happy Jorna Taylor is with us. Jorna is a nonprofit consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna, welcome. Good morning. And, as always, Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert? Good morning, everyone. So, we have a number of quick topics that we want to talk about uh, that have been breaking this week here in Wisconsin, and then we're going to actually end the show with a little bit more detailed uh, conversation of the photo ID lawsuit that's been occurring in Madison this week, and Citizen Action's organizer, Anita Johnson, was uh, testifying, so we're going to hear from Anita Johnson later about uh, her testimony, and we'll talk a little bit more about the trial and its implications. But with that, we want to get started on some big news that broke this week, and it's really starting to get attention today, which is Thursday. We record Thursday morning, and that is the news that was announced yesterday that the Obama administration is going to, has updating the overtime rules, which uh, functionally ends up in a greatly expanding the amount of people, uh, that, and that's full-time salaried employees who are eligible for overtime. Uh, this is a very big deal. It means a lot in terms of workers having significantly potentially more money in their pockets, which of course we know is desperately needed in this economy, Jorna. No, no, it's not. No, <laughs> it's not needed. No. Well, it, it's also not going to help those workers, according to Paul Ryan. So Jorna's already jumped right in. It's <laughs> become incredibly politically hot right away, uh, including uh, Ron Johnson lining up against and Russ Feingold, of course, speaking very uh, strongly in support of, uh, of the change. Robert, Give us a little detail uh, on, on what the change is and, and, of course, why we at Citizen Action think this change is incredibly important for economies here in Wisconsin. Well, just to be clear, 62% of workers in 1975 were covered by overtime rules. So if you worked more than 40 hours, you got time and a half. If you were a salaried employee, uh, it's down to 7%. So if people want to know examples of how the economy has been rigged against average workers, this is an example. And so all President Obama has tried to do is go back to making overtime real again because uh, major corporate interests have wanted to lower people's salaries. And by the way, we have people like university officials coming out, uh, local officials that they depend upon essentially uh, exploiting workers and not paying overtime. And so this is like sort of really letting the cat out of the bag even more on the rigged economy and to the extent to which so many uh, corporations and, and others literally have built their, their business, their economic model on a, on a low road, low wage economy. But we know that that's why the economy is in the dumps and that's why there's a, there's a spiral downward because Wisconsin wages are, uh, adjust for inflation are down uh, nearly 15% since the year 2000. So this is one of the things that's doing that. So to, to put a couple of numbers on what Robert's talking about, just so you might be able to understand whether you would be eligible, currently, in order to automatically be eligible for overtime, if you make more than $23,000, some change a year, you're not eligible. This would be jumped up to 47476 So obviously that is a significant chunk of expanded folks. Robert said the number were up to what, this would get it up to about 35% of workers who would be eligible. And these it are workers who need it. Another 4.2 million people. Um, campaign workers across the country should rejoice. I mean, I've never known them to not put in <laughs> less than 40, 80 hours. Um, so, so yeah, so obviously this is great for 
this is, you know, hashtag thanks Obama for trying to support workers and trying to build economy, you know. But but then, of course, there is our, our good friend, House Speaker Paul Ryan. What does he have to say, Jordan? I'm sure he's a strong supporter of uh, these he's this a, expansion to our economy. He's doing this, and um, he says, quote, it hurts the very people it alleges to help. Um, he thinks that it hurts the students, nonprofit employees, <clears throat> yeah. uh, and people starting a new career because by mandating this over time, he thinks that these businesses will not be able to hire skilled workers. <laughs> so, <laughs> this sounds a very similar to some of the minimum wage messaging that we hear about uh, this can't be done in spite of uh, this being, we yeah. have more wealth in our economy now than ever. A couple things on the, the plus side before we get into all the critiques from Paul Ryan and, and, and the many corporate whiners that we hear in the media <laughs> right now. And that is, if you break this down, the average worker in, say, the Milwaukee area is going to get who, who works overtime. They, they work an average uh, workers of, of seven hours extra. So if you look at that, it's about it's almost a ten thousand dollar raise in Milwaukee. It's in the nine thousand range in over ten thousand in Madison. Then the nine and eight thousand range in other cities across the state, just depending upon what the median income is in that area. So this is a huge boost to local economies when people have more money to spend on the basics, when they can afford uh, to to buy new clothes for their kids, when they can afford to go out to dinner once in a while, when they can afford to send their kids to college. It helps all local businesses. And you don't, in the response, hear any of that. It's all a finite kind of thing. Oh, it'll cost me more. It'll cost grocers more. Brandon Schultz from the Grocers Association was especially outrageous in his responses. Not understanding that, guess what? A whole lot of other workers who shop at your stores will have more money and they can buy more in your stores. You see, so there's a lack of understanding of basic economics that we need to deal with here. But the second thing we need to deal with is, you know, I'm not easily shocked, Matt and Jorna. But the mainstream media, also known as MSM in Twitter world in Wisconsin, was much worse than I even expected as far as simply giving voice to these this business yep. carping and whining, given, not giving the other side at all. And it just it's another example of how uh, basically the system is, including the media system and, and this view of the economy, has been stuffed down everyone's throats by people who profit from paying workers less when that, in fact, is actually killing the golden goose. You have fewer customers, and that's why uh, the Wisconsin economy is one of the worst in the country because our wages have gone down uh, uh, almost the most in the country because we've lost the middle class at a greater rate than the other state in the country since the year 2000. So we should be rejoicing in Wisconsin that this is helping rebuild the middle class, but you turn on the media and you just hear about how terrible and disruptive this is going to be. And let me say one thing about the disruption. One of the big arguments is exactly how law, how how big a jump this is. The reason that we ha that we have fallen so far behind since the 1970s is these very same corporate interests preventing it from happening. And now they're supposed to benefit from the fact that this will be an awfully big jump. Well, let's see. Maybe they would would they agree to a more gradual jump? No, they try to kill any jump because their goal is to pay workers as little as possible. Yeah, and. It you know, I, I gave the numbers earlier, right? This is the real sweet spot of the economy where we have a suppression of wages. We know uh, the middle class that's been really clamped down on over the last 20 years. And so Robert's absolutely right. This is a basic sort of basic economics here. Keynes, I guess you would say, right? That these folks in this income bracket, if they get extra money, Robert mentioned 10 grand, it's going to be spent, right? Uh, it is going to be spent at the grocery. It's going to be spent, you know, maybe taking a trip. No, in, they're going to hoard it. Here they're going to hoard it in their mattresses. <laughs> they might go visit, you know, uh, Jorna's 
parents establishment in Door County, right? Absolutely. All the which we know is the second largest economy, right? Our our tourism. There's all kinds of things that would be greatly benefited here in Wisconsin if this were to increase. But uh, obviously, uh, as Robert mentioned, uh, and it, Robert, you also mentioned the 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 media of this. I want to particularly point out the Journal Sentinel and how bad it was. Uh, I mean, it basically gave a sentence that said, I think labor or uh, workers groups think that this would help add to workers uh, in, in the economy. And then it was all the other side. It was, I mean, the notion, they try to say that there's balance. There wasn't even balance in this thing. It was it was, it was, was appallingly bad. No, and it, it wasn't like we didn't put out information to counter, right. weren't available. Right. There's a whole other side, labor, certainly plenty of unions, other folks could have been talked to. I was appallingly bad and one-sided story. Yeah, and there have been some exceptions. Uh, I've been doing some radio <laughs> interviews, but on the whole, it's been appalling. And let me throw out someone else who's supposed to be liberal media, since we're doing Radioactive Project and uh, the right-wing control. Milwaukee Public Radio, to be distinguished from Wisconsin Public Radio, which actually does a much better job at balance. Milwaukee Public Radio had a beginning part where they talked about the Obama administration and the, and the, and the video they had in favor of it for maybe the first... I would say six of the story, and then it was just a uh, like a like like literally a um, a who's who of business leaders saying it was the end of the world as we knew it uh, for most of the story. And this is supposed to be liberal media, if you if you believe the right the right wing talkers. So, Ron Johnson, he yeah, uh, <laughs> we're this is a segue here. Yes, um, well, obviously Johnson has come out against this, and Ross Feingold rightly has spoken very strongly that uh, he's in support of this. But uh, Ron Johnson said a few other things when he wasn't talking about policy this week. Um, he did two two huge gaffes. One was at the Republican convention this week, comparing his campaign and the 2016 election to the. The vote that was taken on the plane uh, on 9-11, it's just gross, right? And, and, and even making that comparison, but he did that. Um, and then later in the week, he suggested that his support for Donald Trump is not an endorsement. Interesting. Jorna? Oh, where to start <laughs> with the good senator? Um, let's, let's start with the Trump thing first and just say that... This is, again, a demonstration that Republicans are going, oh, shit, <laughs> we're going to have to be behind this guy, but we don't. Just in case he actually, if his orangeness does implode somehow, they've got an out in, in some ways is how I see it. You know, because obviously folks know he's crazy and unhinged. And crazy. So so there's that. His um, orangeness, you mean? His orangeness okay. is crazy. Not, Ron Johnson not, is crazy, too. I was, like, let's I, be clear. I was a little confused about which yeah, pronoun I'm sorry. Was going they're, they're crazy. <laughs> they're crazy. And they want an out. So Republican, crazy Republicans like Ron Johnson want an out to not have to endorse the crazy orangeness <laughs> when yeah. it implodes. Well, look, I, I was mentioning this last week when I was talking about this sort of this triangle where the Trump supporters are not going to allow you to go and he feels like he needs them. But then, you know, the reality of saying you support or endorse Trump is is gripping when you start to look at the amount of independence How and, does it come and out rational of your amount of people, right, that are going to find that oh, also offensive. So he... This week it played out perfectly, and, and by the way, he's going on tour, so he actually has to talk to the public, which he didn't have well, to do six years ago. Usually closed sessions, let's be clear. But uh, uh, to be quite frank, there's nothing really uh, kind of uglier than than botched triangulation. 
So now he's offended both sides. He's offended yeah. Trump by making this distinction, but he's certainly not made anyone feel happy about this distinction that he's endorsing but not supporting. So he's essentially pleased no one with this. And you'll notice, I mean, he's tried to become more political. By that, I mean reading polls instead of just being a Tea Party fanatic. So he's still neutral on the Trans-Pacific Partnership. But look how quick he was to jump out against the out overtime rule, right? And he's going to introduce legislation, he says. Uh, to overturn uh -huh. the overtime rule, okay? So there there you have it. That's the real Ron Johnson. And by the way, kudos to Russ Feingold for being, without any doubt, out immediately the first day supporting this. Now, I haven't seen a lot of other state Democrats yet, but then again, since the mainstream media is so biased, maybe they're talking and not being quoted. Uh, but I, I hope to see that in the next few days because uh, the business, the corporate interests have declared war on this rule and are trying to, going to try to overturn it. And so this is not going to be a one-day story. So let's talk about the other wonderful thing that Ron Johnson did this week. Well, we're just piling on the poor senator. Uh, yeah, so comparing the decision to, you know, be courageous and, and vote for him um, to the folks that had to make the decision to go and try and hijack, re-hijack, I guess, a plane, take over a plane so that it didn't crash into a building and kill other, um, you know, yeah. civilians. That, uh, that is, it's it's more than appalling. It's so ridiculous. Like, how do you even come up with that stuff? I don't, do you lay in bed at night and think of the worst possible thing you can say and then publicly say it in front of the national media? Apparently, Jorna, because Apparently this, you do. Jorna, I had mentioned before that he's gone on this tour and so he has to speak to the public. This wasn't even one of those. This was Ooh, his speech was to the convention. Yeah. He actually sat down well, and wrote, thought about this, probably checked it through with his staff. It was probably I a hope. process and they probably <laughs> started out with Nazi and they said no 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 you can't say that setter and then fascist well no and then terrorist terrorist it, it's, but, it but indirectly well. because it's you know it's 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 about it's Stunning. about the heroes of 911 Stunning I I, I just I'm curious. I, I didn't hear actually what the convention years were thinking, but I'm sure a few of the sane minded. There's I'm sure a couple of them out there were just like, holy shit. <laughs> like, what did he just say? Do, do you think that Rince Priebus is always just like, oh, my God, make it stop. It's bad. It's <laughs> he goes bad home and drinks. We got Trump, right? right. The, the Trump support slash maybe endorse. Not sure. But those comments. Unbelievable. So, look. Not a good week for Ron Johnson. We look forward to an, more, bad more months of touring with Ron. Hey, let's remember, the first time around, this guy was very stealthy, especially through the primary, gets through an August primary. Well, no, it might have been a September primary back then, yeah, right? It was still September. So vision that. He's two weeks. We're two weeks into September. He gets elected, and then suddenly he's the one against Feingold. And if you remember, the polling right away was bad for him. And then there was, for Feingold, and there was an onslaught of just like millions and millions of dollars worth of ads. And the guy was really not publicly available and what not truly vetted. That's a little bit different. He's off on this tour. The vetting uh, the second time around is not going as well. But uh, we got to stay on top of this because um, this race is absolutely critical. We got to win this one. So we'll continue to, to follow uh, Ron Johnson's uh, positions and his uh, reelection tour. Our next topic, we want to briefly talk about the Supreme Court coming with a, I'd have to say, surprising uh, ruling. Although I guess if you believe in the Constitution, it shouldn't have been at all surprising. It should have been unanimous. Which they usually don't. But we actually had two conservative jurists, uh, Gableman and Prosser, 
rule with uh, our two liberal judges. Boom, Prosser <laughs> going out with a blaze of glory. Against Walker's new education plan, which would functionally take away the uh, independent education. authority, right, of, of the uh, superintendent. So this is obviously big news, and I, I just think it's surprising. Um, Robert? Right. It proves me. I've, I have challenged people to, see, to, to, to name, name one time when these alleged jurists would actually read the law differently than Governor Walker, and uh, Justice Gableman and Justice Prosser have done so, at least in one case. Obviously, the, the law has to be very clear for that to happen, uh, but nonetheless, <laughs> it's good to see, and I'm a little concerned about the other three, though, so we're talking about the, the great justices, Ziegler, Bradley, and who is the other one? Is, uh, is stuck. Rogan Sack. Ah, yep. there you go. Patience look, look, herself. What this proves is really how activist those three judges are, right? I mean, when you have Gableman, certainly no liberal or even moderate, coming out un- unequivocally about how this just violates the Constitution and there's no way you can get around that, right? Clearly, we have three activist uh, conservative judges uh, that that uh, clearly are, are in, interested in uh, rewriting the rules uh, with, with Governor Walker. So we're going to put a link on our uh, website that from the Cap Times. It has a very thorough article about so, some of the details of the, uh, of the decision. Uh, so important, worth watching. We're not saying that the court has somehow radically changed or anything, but certainly this was a bit of a surprise. And, and of course, very important in terms of education in the state. Um, they're going to have to go back to the drawing board. Uh, which means probably uh, finding the, the ideal crazy Tea Party candidate to run for DPI. Well, with that, we want to talk a little bit about uh, speaking of changes, right? We know that our government accountability board has been gutted. It's going to going to end, and we're creating a new election commission. And that election commission, I believe about a week ago, selected unanimously. This is a bi- currently a bipartisan, two Republican, two Democratic appointed uh, commission. Uh, the, the chief that they selected to run apparently is not good enough for the conservatives in the Senate. We're hearing now that the state Senate is going to be a tough nomination process for this new chief. So apparently this new election commission is off to an incredibly rocky start. Not even a unanimously selected from a bipartisan is good enough for the conservatives. Well, to be clear, I think what uh, he failed to do is pass the uh, the Catherine Harris test. <laughs> People remember Catherine Harris from Florida and oh. also remember her starring role in the HBO movie about the Florida recount. Uh, but, uh, you know... If Already they, 16 years ago, Robert. If they can't be counted on uh, to side only with the Republicans in all recounts, then they must be blocked. Oh. I wish, again, I wish there was video on the podcast so that you could see my eyes rolling on all of this. Shocker, he's not conservative enough for them. He's not going to block enough um, access to the polls for, you know, specifically targeted to Democrats. He's not going to ensure that only Republican candidates get on the ballot and Democrats are thrown off if there's ever a challenge. Well, he's got to go. He's got to go. By the way, welcome to public service. Right? To the four commissioners, Jesus. you know, and especially the two that were the particularly the one that was appointed by Fitzgerald, who then the next day turns around and says, nope, I don't think so. Right. Like, it, God, God bless. why my... even serve? Why even <sighs> take the time to be aboard, to vet, to go through all this when Fitzgerald says, eh, he really helped out in that John Doe stuff. So 
forget that. God, God bless Ann Jacobs, my friend Ann Jacobs, who is an amazing woman who knows more about election law than you know anyone I know. And man, she's in for it. <laughs> yeah, and Mark Thompson, our board and president, Thompson, is also yeah. on it. Look, and I talked to Mark after the decision. I said to Mark, actually, I said, well, I guess they've made the political calculation that when you got the independent election authority, that it'd be, it would look bad to have a completely partisan appointment to, to run it, and therefore they were being sensible and pragmatic. But I, th- I, I thought too soon. Well, look, we'll, we'll watch this as it goes forward, but I think this looks really bad for the Republicans because you know, you've got, you've got uh, conservatives and liberals right uh, that were appointed that actually were reasonable rational and made a unanimous decision on someone who could ha- who could have confidence from both sides and in these jackals are apparently going to blow it up in the senate so we'll continue to watch that with that we want to move to our big topic for the day uh, and that is the photo id trial that's going on it's actually much bigger than photo id right it's it's about all of the election law changes um, and it's we expect this trial to have about nine or ten days of testimony it started off this monday and our own anita johnson our community organizer who is leading an effort to educate the public about the law changes and and let folks know what they need in terms of a photo ID at the polls and also helping people who are basically running into the difficulties and the blocks that are in this uh, ID law, helping them navigate that process. Welcome, Anita. Thank you. So, Anita, you, you testified on Monday, and why don't you tell us a little bit about what you testified in, in terms of what you talked about, what you, what they really wanted to hear from you um, in the trial, and and what you thought was important for them to hear about these changes to the law and why they're so, um, quite frankly, unconstitutional. Basically, uh, they wanted to know what I did for Citizen Action, uh, the extent of my work, and how much more time. I am taking during the education uh, for voters' rights since the laws have changed. Uh, and I told them now it's almost a 10 to 12-hour day uh, that I'm working on educating the public and helping or advising people uh, to get photo IDs. People are not really paying attention to the changes in the law. And um, I go wherever I can to get a podium uh, to talk about this uh, so people are educated about the changes in the law. Um, They seem to think that maybe if people did more of absentee ballot, it would be easier for them to vote, but that is not true. Uh, The absentee ballot is not always convenient uh, for people to do. Here's what I'm really interested in hearing a little bit more about, too, is you talked about how you're spending now 10, 12 hours on on education. Could you talk more about who you're helping and why? You know, because obviously one of the reasons they wanted you to testify is you've worked with a lot of folks who actually been ensnarled in the the law's changes and how they're impacting their ability to vote. Okay, Um We all know that I work in the churches, but I've also added the homeless veterans uh, to my community of folks uh, that I talk to. I'm still going into neighborhood associations. I'm I'm talking to students now. I'm talking to social workers. People are interested in the changes in the law, and what I do is go step by step 
about the changes. The laws have changed. The two worst changes in the voter laws is photo ID and voter registration. I talk about what is expected of you when you first enter the polls. If you're a registered voter, you say your name and your address, they check you off. And then they ask to see your ID. They are not, the poll worker is not to compare your address to the poll list. You sign the poll list and then you get a ballot to vote. However, when I talk to people and they don't have an ID, I advise them on what to do. Uh, and I tell them that they should go to the DNV. Not only do I tell them that they should go to the DNV, I go with them to advocate for them. Uh, one person in particular, Dennis Hatton, I worked with him for over four months to get a photo ID. And the reason why I stayed on that case is because a lot of time people do not understand the forms. They don't understand that if you don't have a birth certificate, you can ask the DNV to petition your birthplace and your birth date so you can get a photo ID. And people don't always answer the questions correctly. People don't always know the questions to ask the clerk at the DNV when they get a letter that says you cannot get an ID. They don't always know what to do. So it's important that uh, they have somebody at the DNV to advocate for them to make sure that they do get a photo ID. I, I think the important critical aspect of your testimony and a number of other folks, right, there were other people there who had been directly impacted by the photo ID law was to get across the point that this is impacting people because the other side is trying to suggest somehow that this isn't happening. There's, this is not. This isn't stopping anyone from voting. In fact, there it appears their main argument in the trial is the turnout that we've had in recent elections, and particularly this spring. That somehow, just because turnout is up, that this law is not impacting anybody. And and and, it, and your testimony clearly lays out that while turnout was up because we had exciting presidential elections, this is still directly impacting many people in our communities. Yeah, we can go back to Dennis Haddon. I wanted to complete the story with him. So on election day, I took him to the polls to vote. Um, and when he walked in, we were confident, oh, he now has an ID, uh, he can use his veteran's ID uh, as an ID. And the ID that they sent him he was homeless when I met him. He now has an apartment. The ID that they sent him had the homeless shelter's address on there. So we could not register him. So I, we went back to his house to get a uh, uh, form of, of a bill so he could have proof of residence, so he could register at the polls. They offered us a provisional ballot, mm. and I said, we don't do provisional ballots. We want this vote to count today. So we went back to his house to get a bill so he could register to vote, and then that story was completed. But that took me an hour and a half just to stay with Dennis to make sure that he, get, he got a chance to vote on April 5th and that his vote was counted. We also had a lot of problems with the students. Uh, you probably heard how the Marquette students uh, stood in line for hour and a half to two hours waiting to register to vote. 
Marquette did step up their game and gave a lot of the students their additional IDs to vote with, but they had to register to vote. And that stopped a lot of the students from voting. Their choice was, do I vote or do I go to class? They elected to go to their class. So that was another problem at the polls. The poll worker had been trained, but I think they were being overcautious. And I saw where the poll worker was taking the ID and putting it down and then comparing the address, which they shouldn't have done. And that also caused a delay in the lines at the polls. So that, those were just some of the problems that were just going on on April 5th. Yeah, and we'll have links on our website to other articles that profile some of the other testimony that show the direct impact that this law is having. Um, that combined with the testimony of, say, I think it's Todd Alba, uh, is that Todd Alba. Alba, who is a former Republican staffer, he really laid bare the notion that this was clearly a political effort to suppress in this case, Democratic voters or voters who they did not think would be uh, naturally inclined to vote for them. And his testimony laid out that that was part of the part of what the, the reason why they passed the law. And then I think you guys really came in and adequately showed that it is having that impact, which is essentially what the case is, right? That this has a detrimental impact to one political party. It was intended to do that and that it's actually happening. Absolutely. Uh he was the star of the day, actually, as everybody yeah. knows. Uh, his uh, testimony was overwhelming. It was yeah. just overwhelming. But we also had a uh, another uh, woman that testified who um, only had a ninth grade education. And um, going back to advocate for people at the DMV, she filled out her forms wrong. She misspelled words. Um, so uh, DNV never gave her an ID. And as we all know, uh, Scott Walker has now said he's going to give uh, IDs to vote with. Um, I think this is so wrong in so many ways. Um, on that receipt that they get, I did get a chance to see it. Uh, it's good for 60 days. And stamped on the receipt is for voting purposes only. Yeah. Uh, my question is, People who have not been to the DNV to uh, apply for an ID, how will they know that they can get this? How are they going to follow up the people that got an ID to vote with for the August election? Will they follow that up and give them one for the September election? So, you know, this is another thorn in our side. This is something else that I have to get out and talk to the public about so they understand what they need to do in order to even get a receipt if they don't have a birth certificate. So, first of all, I want to add that while Todd may have been the star because he provided the inside information as to their intentions, which was important, I'd like to say that I think you and, and the League of Women Voters and other folks from, from Vote Riders who are doing this work every day, getting out there and finding these folks and helping make those connections they get, you're the stars because that's incredibly difficult work and you've been doing it now for a couple of years as this these laws have come and gone and, and we've had back and forth on them uh, and we're able to bring people because you had the relationships to actually show that it is having that impact. A absolutely, because I talked facts. 
I talked about uh, taking people to the DNV and what happens. I talked about my presentations and the reactions that people get um, after my presentation. I talked about the questions that people ask me. I talked about the hours that I put in. N er nothing was fictional. Right. Everything was fact um, that I talked about. So looking forward, um, you're continuing to work on, on educating the public as we go forward. Um, big project for us in order to try to make sure that this, uh, these law changes have the least impact is we're trying to recruit poll workers and other folks and get people trained. You can still register people as a special registrar. If folks want to get involved in doing that work and, and with you and, and getting information about that, how do they contact you and, and what do you suggest? I'm looking for volunteers. First of all, we need more poll workers. We need more trained poll workers. Please call me at 414-899-3386. Um, taking people to the polls is not as easy as you think it is. Um, I have volunteers to help me to take people to the polls. However, if you want to advocate for the photo ID, I would be willing to train you. So in case you have to help me to take uh, uh, people to the polls, you would know what to say. It's so important that we give out the correct information, yep. not to say, well, oh, you can do this or you can do that. You need to be trained. If you are willing to be trained to become an advocate for voter registration, uh, and for photo ID, I will be willing to do that. We also need people to register uh, the public to vote, and we definitely need poll workers. Again, my telephone number is 414-899-3386. Well, Anita, thanks a lot for all the work that you do, for your testimony, and everything that you're going to do this fall in terms of making sure that this this law has the least impact on uh, people's ability to to. To, to participate in our democracy. Thank you. So with that, Anita, you need to stay because we are to the best part of the show, and that's called the weekend furlough. And you always have something interesting going on. So what's Anita Johnson do when she is not spending time helping make sure people are, are allowed to vote? Unfortunately, I'll be at Garden Homes uh, School on Saturday, uh, registering people to vote and talking about photo ID. That's awesome. That sounds great. Um, and for people who don't know, Anita's son is an incredibly talented actor who's at who who you can catch at the Rep or any any number of theaters around the state. So uh, I want to encourage. Uh, I want to give that shout out to Chike so Chike Johnson. Thank you, Anita. And then Jorna, what's going on this weekend with you? Uh, I am going to judge a horse show and spend time with everybody's favorite horses, George and Reno. You say that, it makes it sound so creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not creepy with my horses. All right. There you go. Yes. Hey, Robert, what are you doing this weekend? Um, I've not developed any plans, Matt, as usual, <laughs> but uh, I did hear it was going to be warm this weekend, oh. so I certainly hope to bike and start to train for the Riverwest 24. Bring uh, it. Oh later this year other than that anything else i might mention probably would violate Matt. there's no rules robert Matt, uh, you violated every week rules i just i just want to furlough that's all we want to know what you like so with that 
Um, I am going to be spending some time at Ostalon this weekend, which uh, if you live in Madison, is 30 minutes from Madison. You should come on out Saturday night, watch some racing. With that, want to thank Brian Woldridge, who makes the podcast happen every week. Can't happen without him. And we will see you all next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.